Come, come to this place, whoever you are. Wanderer, worshipper, lover of learning, all seekers after what is true, all who seek a community of compassion and diversity. Come, come to this place, whoever you are, though you've broken your vows a thousand times and you're too busy and weary and you don't have the time. Come, come to this place, whoever you are. Lovers of wisdom, lovers of humanity, lovers of beauty. Come to this place where a love we did not make surrounds us and lifts us and nurtures us. Come, come to this place, whoever you are. Ours is not a community of despair, but of hope. Not a place of judging, but of thanksgiving. Not a place of certainty, but of searching. Come to this place, whoever you are. Come, yet again come. Lauren's going to come and light the chalice for us this morning. Thank you. The element of fire represents passion, truth, authenticity and vitality. If the chalice is the Unitarianism which holds and supports us, then we are the flame. We are the flame fanned strong by our passion for freedom, our yearning for truth-telling, our daring to be authentic with one another, and the vitality we sustain in our meeting together. In all of this, there is love. Welcome, everyone. It's fantastic to. It is fantastic to be standing here. I genuinely mean that. <laughs> uh, welcome to the first of our theme sessions here at this year's summer school. Now, at this point in proceedings, I might normally be expected to offer a story to you, but today I'm going to turn it on its head. I'm going to give you a moment, each by yourself, to think about the story you came in with, the story of your life, the story of who you are. I want you all, everybody, to think about the question, who are you? Hopefully everyone got a pen or a pencil as you came in. If you've got a hymn booklet, in the back of your hymn booklet there is a star. Carefully unpeel the star and save it for later. And underneath that there's a space for you to jot down your first reactions to the question, who are you? If you haven't got a hymn booklet, hopefully you've got got a little scrap of rough paper you can do your first jottings down on. No need to be neat, this is just your rough work, your first impressions. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes in silence by yourself to consider the question and then there will be a ding. that's not very long for a very big question but we've got at the very least this week and possibly the rest of our lives to keep considering it so don't feel too pressured Um, 
I'm going to give you a few more minutes now just to turn to someone near you, preferably someone you don't already know that well, and just share what you're willing to share of what you came up with. Just a couple of minutes, and when the time's up, I'll put my hand up so that we can get silence again. Thanks, everyone. Hopefully that's got us started. We've got our tendrils into the topic of our authentic selves. <laughs> at some time during the day, or even at a quiet moment during the theme talk, uh, write down some sort of response that you're willing to share on your star. I invite you to do that. And there's a space on the uh, glass panel next to the dining room for us to pin them all up and make a constellation of our authentic selves. Let's sing together again now. Um, Our next hymn is Gather the Spirit, which is in your hymn booklets. And I believe the young people are going off to their own programme now. So um, have a good morning and we'll see you later.
I bet you thought Jane's talk was going to be longer than that. <laughs> what am I going to do now? Jane wanted to set the atmosphere and get us all engaged and involved before I come in with the boring procedural stuff. So here I am with the boring procedural stuff. Things like, thank you for the chairs. Thank you for the effort that was put into arranging the chairs. And let's keep that habit going if we can. Not if we can. Let's keep that habit going. Uh, At the end of this session, for instance, the room will need to be relayed for Katie and Stephen's workshop. So if you're willing to help, just hang about for a sec before you go to queue for your coffee and give them a hand reforming the room. That'd be great. Um, it was very lovely that, Ke- that Jane gave out some pens to you all this morning. We would generally assume that you would arrive with a pen and paper because it's a theme talk which may involve you writing <coughs> notes down or you may be asked to talk, you may be asked to, to do a little writing exercise. So please keep hold of these pens and bring, or if you've got your own preferred pen, do have that with you. There, there won't be a question and answer at the end of a, at the theme talk. It's not like a lecture where you get to quiz the speaker. That's why we put a separate session on at 4.30 every day, which Chris Thompson will facilitate. So if you want to come back to the speaker after due reflection through the day, Hibbert Room at 4.30 is your opportunity to do that. Okay. Also, it might be useful for you to know that every talk is being recorded. There's a little doohickey just there. And it will be uploaded onto the Summer School website. So you can find the audio on the website. And in due course, once you've finished, you'll be able to click on a different button on the website and get the text. Additionally, the text of each theme talk will be available for those who request it after Summer School has finished. Okay, so you are covered. No need to worry. But do please arrive with a pen and a notebook if you've got, because it may help you just to note things down that you want to take with you. Now, Jane, you have all read about the biographical notes that were put into your information sheets. You know Jane's background, but you don't know that in between work and study and mucking about on the internet, Jane enjoys baking and birdwatching and craft work. Not the band, I don't think. (laughs) Shows my age. And she says she is a keen armchair cyclist. leave that one hanging I think (laughs) and I'm going to set her up with a quote which really picks up beautifully the front of your sheet Um, it's by Oscar Wilde and I'm going to put it into the first person to to de-gender it I am least myself when I talk in my own person give me a mask and I will tell you the truth hmm discuss (laughs) just in case you want to take notes (laughs) When someone asks, who are you? What do you say? Where do you start? I suppose it depends a bit who's asking, when they ask and what mood you're in at the time. So let's say I'm asking right now this morning because I just did and I'm about to do it again. Who are you? There are a number of ways you might approach this question. You might choose to start with your roles in relation to others. Mother, daughter, father, son, brother, sister, husband, wife, partner, lover, friend. Maybe your occupation, teacher, minister, carer, gardener, bus driver, lion tamer. (laughs) Perhaps you choose to prioritise your nationality, your race, your ethnicity, your religion. Perhaps you choose to highlight your sexual or gender identity. 
gay, straight, bisexual, male, female, cis, trans, gender non-conforming. You might name some political aspects of your identity. Feminist, socialist, activist. Naming causes that are particularly important to you, close to your heart. You might mention your age, your education or particular special interests. Your choice of labels and their order of priority says something. Firstly, of course, it says something about who you think you are. And secondly, it says something about how you want to present yourself to other people. How you want to be seen. About a week ago, I decided to try a little experiment. I put a message out to my friends on Facebook and Twitter by email, asking for their responses to the question, who are you, in the context of our theme for this week, the authentic self. I gave them the rather cruel constraint that their responses had to be no more than 160 characters in length. (laughs) This is characters, not words, the length of a tweet or an old school text message. Most of them, more or less, managed to meet this requirement with a little bit of complaining along the way. When I made the call for responses, I told them that I would read out a selection of them unattributed today, though some of them are Unitarians and it is of course possible that some people here will recognise some of them from their self-description. I was totally fascinated by the variety of these responses and with assistance from Mel and Ned, I'm going to read about a dozen of them out now um, and then I'll make some observations that lead into our theme. I should say that we're only going to read out about half of the replies I got uh, and I've written them all up on the coloured stars and I'll mix them in with yours up on the wall later on so you can see what everybody said. Um, Okay, let's go for it, chaps. I'm going to start with me. Um, I think it's only fair that I read my own one out, but the rest of them can stay anonymous-ish. <laughs> Peace-loving, mystical Unitarian, old-fashioned lefty, amateur philosopher, armchair activist, maker, baker, birder, bisexual, romantic, soft, sensitive, slow. Male, products of genes, history and environment with a deep longing for God, yet only too aware of my sensual and selfish nature, which leads to a lack of integration of who I am. Fortunate soul, eager to give back to the world, enthusiastic about life, aware of pain, my own and others, asking what life's about, more than we'll ever know. Poet, pastor, father, brother, northerner, beachcomber, reader, walker, Worshipper, big girl's blouse. (laughs) I've never been able to describe or even imagine my authentic self other than in relation to other people. Without them, I seem to have no centre and no boundaries. Shy but people-loving, singer, swimmer, book-lover, geekish, sensitive, bi, poly, genderqueer... Yorkshire person, Quaker, attached to ever-increasing family. I'm female but not feminine. I'm an introvert and I love people. I'm a Trekkie, a seamstress and a lover of cats. I'm married and I'm incubating a little boy. (laughs) I am a human being, a child of the universe, finite and eternal. A husband, lover, brother, son and friend. I am a writer, a reader, a thinker and an athlete. I am a middle-aged woman doing the best that I can to live in the world lightly with compassion, simplicity and integrity as watchwords. Work in progress. 
My true self, a black, fat woman who's a survivor of abuse and violence. All the other things I am stem from that and what I do to get by. Father, husband, son, friend, brother, teacher, walker, cyclist, music lover, amateur photographer, cook, fettler, warrior, lefty, liberal, geek, Unitarian. (laughs) 71, and much the same as in my childhood. Serious-minded, happy, lazy-ish, rarely angry. And finally, someone had no words of their own but offered a fragment of Rumi. Where did I come from and what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. My soul is from elsewhere, I'm sure of that, and I intend to end up there. Thank you. So I should acknowledge, at least in passing, that the responses are undoubtedly skewed by the fact that I just asked my friends and they don't represent a perfectly sampled cross-section of all humanity. But as I received the various responses, I noticed several different strands emerging. People took the question in different ways, at different levels, and responded accordingly. And I should say that a lot of people were very keen to point out that their response was of the moment. Um, It could have been quite different if I asked them the next day or the next minute. So some people took the question as being about identity, in the sense of roles that they identify with. And quite a few emphasised their relatedness to others as a key part of who they were. Others picked out a selection of labels they would choose to claim for themselves. And I want to just throw in as an aside here, there's perhaps a general tendency to be down on labelling and labels. People can be very resistant to using labels. But from my point of view, they can be very useful as long as they're applied accurately and in a non-derogatory way. For example, for certain minority groups, labels can be politically useful when self-applied and they can help people to find each other, to form communities and become visible. So... Let's not be down on labels too much. Back to the who are you responses. Of those who didn't particularly identify themselves with roles and labels, many chose to characterise themselves in terms of qualities, their way of being in the world, virtues and occasionally vices, Um, sometimes qualities that they think they already possess, sometimes qualities that they think are important and which they aspire towards. Others chose to mention passions, enthusiasms, Hobbies that mean so much to them that they're tied up with their sense of who they are. And just a few people nodded towards something else entirely. A kind of cosmic, eternal self. An eternal self beyond the worldly, everyday sense. Perhaps a self that remains when all the roles and labels and doings of everyday life are stripped away. A self that is constant through all the day-to-day changes and throughout the course of our finite lives. So I was delighted that people had engaged with the question at all these different levels. Firstly, in terms of identity, roles and labels in relation to others. I think of this as kind of a political dimension in the broadest sense, a way of asserting our position in the world we happen to find ourselves in. Secondly, they spoke in terms of qualities, virtues and aspirations, arrived at by self-reflection and by the feedback of others. I think of this dimension of being about the formation of the self, the self-authorship and self-development. And the third dimension being a mystical sense of something bigger, something deeper and harder to articulate, something that transcends all the worldly aspects of the self, 
perhaps a spiritual or religious dimension. So when we talk about the authentic self, it feels important to me to honour all of these dimensions. I can feel a small tug of temptation to privilege the spiritual version as somehow higher and to gloss over the more mundane details of our everyday existence as if they were lower things of lesser importance. Alternatively, there can be a temptation to focus on the things that are more solid and certain, the familiar qualities we can put a name to, and avoid looking at this mysterious stuff that's harder to get a grip on. For me, the reality is that we're a mixture of all these things. We are our roles and relationships, we are our conduct and our aspirations, and we are part of something larger, contained in a human body with lumps, bumps and wobbly bits. (laughs) With... We're formed by a mixture of genetic inheritance, environmental factors, cultural influences, chance encounters and cosmic revelations. We're shaped both positively and negatively through our relationships with others, marked, moulded and carved out, and thus our very selves are interconnected. Closely connected to authenticity for me is integrity in the sense of being whole and undivided. Part of our life's task is perhaps the integration of all of these different dimensions of the self. We might aspire to live in a way that is coherent and true an expression of our authentic self, our many selves, as possible. We are, after all, full of contradictions. Personally, I am quite capable of being nice and nasty, generous and tight, clever and stupid, all in about the space of ten minutes. (laughs) From time to time, we might be painfully aware of the gap between the person we would aspire to be and the person we are right now. Yet if we remain open, the self will continually evolve and expand as we encounter new experiences and challenges. Walt Whitman's famous words come to mind, and I suspect we might hear him more than once this week. Do I contradict myself? Very well then, I contradict myself. I am large, I contain multitudes. I want to pause there for a moment before moving on, so let's have a sing so you can get up and wiggle. Um, (laughs) The next one's in the centre of our hymn book, Do You Hear?
Authenticity is about being real, about avoiding pretense, going without masks, being sincere. So now I want to say something about revealing our authentic self in everyday life. We all make choices which might be quite self-conscious or quite unconscious about how we present ourselves to others. The way we dress, the way we speak, the places we go, the people we associate with, our possessions, our shoes. (laughs) Uh, They all contribute to the impression we make on others. There are certain situations where we might cultivate our public image a bit more carefully, perhaps writing a personals ad or a profile for a dating agency or carefully crafting a CV for a new job, generally in situations where we're attempting to stand out and seek approval or at least interest from others. Though, conversely, on other occasions, we might put on a front to fit in, to go unnoticed for a quiet life. I imagine most of us can think of occasions where we've buffed up or toned down some aspects of ourselves to get along in social situations, and up to a point, that's just a necessary part of getting by. And yet, I also imagine that authenticity and integrity is something that many of us aspire to. Personally, the ideal I'm aiming for is to be my whole self, wherever I am, whoever I'm with. I'm going to repeat that. My whole self, wherever I am, whoever I'm with. Perhaps this aspiration is a bit hardcore. It seems reasonable enough, perhaps, that we should choose to share different levels, different aspects of ourselves with with different people in different situations, as the circumstances seem appropriate but I just don't want to be a chameleon. I have a number of different circles of friends. As I am such a devoted Unitarian, most of my closest friends are people I've either met at church or met here at summer school over the last 14, 15 years or so. I'm still in touch with a few physicists and computer scientists from my previous life as a researcher. Lately, I've gone back to college, studying philosophy, religion and ethics at a Jesuit institution, where I'm mixing with people half my age who've got very different life experiences and worldviews. These days, an increasing share of my friends are people I've met off the internet, um, people who I've met through shared interests, such as comedy, cycling and craft, or fellow activists in the feminist, bisexual and general-purpose lefty communities. (laughs) So, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I live at the intersection of quite an interesting Venn diagram. Um, And that's before I consider all the people whose lives bump up against mine by chance rather than by choice. There could be a temptation to present a different version of myself depending on who I've got in front of me. But like I said, I aspire to be my whole self wherever I am, whoever I'm with. This means repeatedly outing myself in one way or another in communities where some aspect of who I am goes against the norm. So by outing myself, I mean coming out of the closet, um, as the saying goes, consciously choosing to reveal an aspect of my identity to the world, even though I know I might well get grief and aggravation for it at some level. Um, I'm going to offer an example of this, which I don't hear people talk about so often. Um, I wonder if everyone here at summer school this week is fully out about being Unitarian or, or even about being spiritual or religious in some sense amongst their non-Unitarian friends. When I first started going to church and coming to summer school, um, I couldn't bring myself to tell people what I was actually doing, so I'd say I was going to meditation classes or on a meditation <laughs> mm, Possibly laughs of recognition. <laughs> 
Many people I encounter outside of our Unitarian bubble are, at best, uninterested in religious matters. I've often got the impression that us religious types are regarded as unsophisticated, gullible, maybe even a bit dim. (laughs) Quite often a chill will descend on a conversation when it emerges that I work for a church. (laughs) This is is an unscripted aside. Uh, A week ago in a lift, someone started trying to chat me up and uh, and then asked what I did for a living, and that was all over very quickly. (laughs) Conversely, when I talk to people who have got a strong religious faith, it seems I'm not religious enough for them. (laughs) That that we barely count as religious in, in their eyes. So this is just one example where it can seem like too much trouble to reveal an aspect of my authentic self. In so many situations, there can be a pressure to go along with a herd to keep our head down and our mouths shut rather than speak our truth and end up being judged harshly for what we are. In my life, being religious, being Unitarian in particular, is quite a visible part of my identity. As soon as anyone asks, what do you do for a living or what did you do at the weekend, my answer's going to give it away. But there are other parts of my identity that are just as significant to me, but not by default as visible. And so I often make a positive choice to bring these invisible aspects of my identity to light. For example, I often out myself as bisexual or out myself as having slightly fragile mental health. Sometimes I get the impression, and on a few occasions it's been said to me directly, that people are thinking, why are you going on about being bisexual again? Or why are you going on about your mental health again? Or whatever it is I'm going on about at the time. (laughs) Well, I'm going on about it, whatever it is, Partly because psychological visibility is important for humans. It's important for us to be seen, acknowledged and valued for who we are. So partly I'm asserting my own identity for self-centred reasons, because I want these aspects of my authentic self to be seen. But I'm also speaking up in the hope of challenging the stereotypes and negative judgments that might be associated with those less visible identities bringing to light the infinite variation of our human experience, making it real for others and giving a face to these hidden sides can help to give strength to others and contribute to the liberation of all. The forces of normativity can have quite a stifling impact on human diversity, human flourishing and human happiness. The power of convention is so strong that it can limit people's options in life without them even being aware of it. Certain possibilities become unthinkable, not even in the strong sense of taboo, but just so far outside the sphere of what people can imagine that it never crosses their minds that it's a possibility. On top of this, our society exists in such a way that the loudest, most privileged and most conventional voices tend to dominate. In all spheres of public life, in the media online, in academia and government, there's a tendency to scorn and mock anyone who exists outside quite tightly constricting norms, to bully them back into conformity. This is quite an adversarial, antagonistic culture we live in, and in a way it excludes all but the toughest souls who are willing to engage and endure. This is cruel and tragic, not just for those who are directly excluded, but for all of us. The wisdom, creativity and insight of the sensitive and different can end up being crushed altogether and lost to society as a whole. Or at the very least, it goes underground. 
This isn't just a problem for a minority of people on the margins of society. Normativity and convention and the harshness of the world can combine to constrict our view of what's possible or allowed for us to squash our potential to prevent our full flourishing and to suppress the expression of our authentic selves. Another challenge to authenticity comes from the societal pressure to keep up appearances. Many of us would like to give the impression that we're more or less in control of our lives, that we're on top of things, we've got everything together, everything's sorted, whatever the underlying reality. On top of this, we might like to show everybody how full, exciting and purposeful our life is and perhaps make all this activity look effortless while we're about it. (laughs) This is a bit of a caricature, I know, but it's the ideal, anyway, that's held up. When someone asks us how we are, a common response these days might be, oh, I'm fine, just busy. (laughs) This pressure to put on masks and hide the more complex reality of our lives, ourselves, is a sad thing. Wearing a mask of everything's okay places a barrier between us. If we're always comparing our secret inner reality, including our imperfections, our struggles and pain, with everybody else's perfect shiny facade, we're likely to feel increasingly alienated and ashamed. These masks isolate us from each other. And perversely, sometimes we might feel unable to share our hopes, our dreams, our pleasures and happinesses with others for fear that these precious aspects of our lives might be mocked, scorned or met with indifference. Many years ago, here at summer school, uh, in fact, I had learned from a dear friend that the word sincere was meant to originate from the Latin words meaning without wax. It supposedly referred to the practice of using wax to make marble look flawless so that it could be sold for a higher price as higher quality. Coloured wax would be rubbed in to conceal the flaws and imperfections in the stone, so to be sincere is to be without wax, without concealing your flaws. To be sincere is to be vulnerable and real. Now, in the name of authenticity, I should mention that I've looked that up and it turns out it's not the real derivation of the word. (laughs) But but we know the value of a good story. (laughs) It's folk etymology, is what it says in the dictionary. We can give a great gift to others by sharing our struggles and brokenness, showing our vulnerability, revealing our particular unique, authentic self to the world. It can open up a point of connection. And authenticity can be contagious. Your openness and sincerity can give others permission to shed their own masks. By unilaterally practising this way of being, you can teach it to others and pass it on to the next generation. I spend a lot of time mucking about on the internet, as previously mentioned, particularly on social media. And over time, as part of my attempt to be my whole self, wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I've evolved a policy, an online policy, of being what I like to call militantly boring. (laughs) By militantly boring, I mean that I've decided I'm going to share the ups and downs and general mundanity of my life, and I refuse to limit myself to just sharing jolly, buoyant, celebratory moments when I'm feeling witty and upbeat and when I want to show off. There is a need to be visible and to have all my different facets affirmed or at least acknowledged by others. (laughs) 
So I've been rattling on for a while now about how marvellous and desirable it is to be your whole self, wherever you are, whoever you're with. But I've got to acknowledge that it requires courage or at least self-confidence, a certain amount of self-confidence to be fully authentic in this way. The prospect of revealing your authentic self can be quite terrifying in some circumstances. Self-revelation makes you vulnerable. As I've said, this can be a good thing. It opens up the possibility of connection. It invites and enables other people to be authentic too. But you can get hurt. What if people see the real you and reject it? Or people might betray trust that you've put in them. It's an understandable urge to hunker down and stay safe and unseen. We often quite legitimately put on masks and disguises for our own self-protection. And in case it isn't clear, I'm not just talking about the possibility that we'll be upset and our feelings will be hurt. The power imbalances that exist in our world as it is mean that it's often not safe to be authentic. Indeed, for most of human history, the pursuit of individual authenticity just wouldn't have been a concern and a consideration for most people because they had to focus on survival and getting by in the tough circumstances of harsher times. Even now, authenticity may seem like a luxury for those people around the world who are stuck in situations where being themselves is likely to put them at risk of physical brutality, economic consequences, emotional abuse, bullying of all forms. A particularly powerful example of a group who are facing exactly this is the group of Ugandans who uh, held their first ever Pride March just over a week ago in a country where homosexual sex is still illegal. You might have heard about the pro- uh, proposed law which initially threatened the death penalty and later life imprisonment for so-called aggravated homosexuality. Uh, That law has now been struck down, but it seems these Ugandans are still living in an exceptionally hostile environment. And yet, some of you may have seen last week the beautiful and moving photos of their colourful and defiant pride parade, the first they'd ever hold. Uh, Another case that came to mind to me a few years back, but closer to home is the attack on Sophie Lancaster and Robert Maltby back in 2007 in Lancashire. A couple of quiet, sensitive, intelligent young people, they would have called themselves goths, I think, Uh, they were beaten unconscious by a group of teenage lads while walking home late at night, singled out, as far as we can tell, just because they looked and dressed differently. And Sophie uh, never regained consciousness, and she died from her injuries. So I'm offering these two examples, and of course there are many more we could name, to underline the fact that when I advocate authenticity, I'm not taking it lightly. I know there's a cost. I do think it's good to reveal more of our authentic selves, and that that's part of making the world a better place. But just because of the way the world is right now, there's a balance to be struck between self-revelation and self-care. I think there's something we can do as individuals and collectively in our congregations as Unitarians to help support and encourage people in their process of being their authentic selves. We can create safer spaces, softer spaces, kinder spaces. We can create communities or just small moments of refuge and sanctuary. I'm imagining something almost like a nature reserve for authentic selves. (laughs) A protected space, a carefully cultivated habitat set apart from the harshness of the prevailing culture where people are free to flourish. 
As Unitarians, we sometimes refer to ourselves as non-conformists and dissenters, and although those terms have a particular meaning in the context of our church history, I think a lot of us tend to claim those terms more broadly, uh, and we're rather proud to think of ourselves as a bit different. And I'd like to see us harness that tendency and be really intentional about doing something countercultural. Let's strive to make generous spaces, truly welcoming of all, where people are nurtured and encouraged to grow. In a way, that might sound obvious. There's a temptation to say, well, aren't we doing that already? Isn't that part of the point of church? And indeed, at our best, I think we are creating something like this. We do it more explicitly at places like summer school, and particularly in our engagement groups here and back in our congregations, where we often use a group covenant to help intentionally cultivate a safer, softer, kinder space and to support people in being real with each other and in fact that's something that Michael touched on yesterday but to do it well day in day out in a church community or in our everyday lives is bloody hard work and it's a process that requires constant review and course correction because there can be a tendency to rest on our laurels there's a phrase that um, Danny Crosby, minister with Altrincham and Ermston, uses at the start of every service, every Sunday. He says, all are welcome here. Come as you are, exactly as you are, but don't expect to leave in exactly the same condition. <laughs> That's a strong statement of intent, a reminder for everyone, and a really bold thing to put up front in your service every single week. Church is a place where you're received as you are and supported to grow in your own way. And if that's true, then it's radical. I want to say in passing that I'm not sure we Unitarians are generally as good at welcoming people as we like to think we are. We make quite a big thing of our commitment to diversity, and yet while we're quite diverse in our opinions, and we can be quite vocal and argumentative about them, um, in many other ways we're not really that diverse at all. Our communities can be quite conventional in many ways. We mustn't sit back and think we have done diversity just because we came down on the right side of the equal marriage issue, for example, although that was laudable, of course. We can end up making casual assumptions, often quite unconsciously, about other people's lives. We can make assumptions about their beliefs, their domestic circumstances, their level of education or income, um, often their health issues, especially things like mental health, chronic illnesses, invisible disabilities and addiction issues, all manner of things you can't tell by looking at someone. The assumptions we might make about these things and others can lead to making unintentional slights or behaviours or arrangements in our congregations um, which inadvertently exclude others in a way that we'd be shocked if we realised almost. Continuously, ex continuously examining our assumptions and consciously working on greater inclusion is a necessary part of making our congregations safer, softer, kinder spaces, which are really welcoming to all. And this challenging of quest and questioning of ourselves and of each other is part of the deal in a community of growth. So what I'm advocating, I suppose, is a conscious and sustained attitude of openness, curiosity and respect if someone courageously opens up to you, then be ready to receive the gift of them, of their self-revelation. 
I'm not even primarily talking about the kind of massive personal bombshell that might happen just before the credits roll on EastEnders. <laughs> I'm just talking about people sharing their everyday struggles and uncertainties, their dreams and passions, as well as the relatively mundane ups and downs of their lives. Opening up about this stuff and being real might be a big deal for any one of us. Do your best to hold a safer, softer, kinder space. Taking these small tentative steps, even taking them unilaterally as an individual in a conversation, can be the starting point of a virtuous circle where we build trust and confidence to be real with each other. I spotted these um, words I'm just going to share with you by Roselle Kovitz from the Fetzer Institute. She posted them following the death of Robin Williams last week. Um, I found them quite moving and I thought they resonated with what I'm trying to say here, so I'll, I'll share these before we move on. Roselle Kovitz wrote, Like all of us, were we to pull back the curtain on his life, there are spaces and places that were tender, ill, broken, imperfect. Yet it's easy to see each other as what's most visible, most talked about, our daily performances in life. Sometimes we miss those tender places in each other. They may go unspoken. They're the places that need a moment to surface, that do best in soft light, that don't want to take centre stage, but appreciate a compassionate presence, one that will allow silence to fall like gentle rain. We need those spaces to allow each other to fully inhabit, experience and be who we are and to heal. Behind our cursory greetings or newsy conversations are the spaces where we live, where we try to integrate all the pieces of ourselves, our joy with our pain and our achievements with our brokenness. Words from Roselle Kovitz. Let's pause there for a moment and sing again. Our next hymn is Break Not the Circle.
<clears throat> Just one more little instalment before we come to the end at ten past ten. So to recap, so far I've invited you to reflect on your authentic self, who you are, and encourage you to reveal this whole real self to others. And I've suggested that we ought to make a conscious effort to make our congregations and in our conversations as individuals to make safer, softer, kinder spaces. Refuges from the world's harshness where people feel able to engage in this sort of exploration and sharing. And now I'm going to get a little bit theological. Just a bit. For me, nurturing, cultivating and sharing the authentic self, our own and others, this is a central spiritual task, something that each and every one of us is called to do. Here's how I choose to put it theologically. Our lives, my life, your life, everybody's life, our lives are part of the unfolding of God. We are each a fragment of the divine and God is revealed in everything that lives. We're part of a larger self, a cosmic consciousness with many centres participating in the divine life, each of us lending our unique perspective. That's how I see it, that's my theology for the time being anyway. <laughs> Another way of putting it, if God's language doesn't really work for you, might be to say that each life is a unique expression of the potential of the universe. The philosopher Wittgenstein wrote that there is really only one world soul, which I, for preference, call my soul. There is only one cosmic soul. We are one. There's one strand of religious thought um, associated with the early church fathers, Irenaeus in particular, and popularised a bit by philosopher John Hick in recent years, which talks about humans as part of an unfinished process of creation. So our life's task is to gradually develop in virtue as we respond to the struggles and challenges as we meet along the way in life. In this manner we come gradually closer to fulfilment and closer to becoming the likeness of God. So there's a challenge in this for each of us to pay attention to our own flourishing and to support the flourishing of others for this greater purpose. Each person has an unrepeatable opportunity to contribute to the unfolding of divinity. Each person has a unique perspective and valuable insights to share. Each person has gifts to use in the ongoing process of creation. When society suppresses or distorts the expression of a person's authentic self, this is, for me, a kind of sacrilege. Their potential is squashed and their contribution is lost or lessened when it should be celebrated and cherished. Our authentic self is both the person that we are in the here and now and the larger, more fulfilled and flourishing person that we have it in us to be. I'm going to suggest a little reflective exercise that you might try later. On the back of your little hymn book, I have listed a hundred virtues. Reflect on the qualities that you, you as you are now here today, the qualities that you bring to the unfolding of the world. So this is a starter list. You are not limited to these hundred. Try and get a sense of the gift that you are. If you find it tricky to big yourself up in this way, then I suggest you enlist a good friend 
to help you write a list of, say, seven, seven virtues that are characteristic of you. I think a lot of people can find it quite hard to see their own good qualities, and it can be quite heartening to have them affirmed by someone you trust. And once you've done that, then try to identify a few more virtues that you value, that are important to you, but that you don't embody yourself just yet. You might want to meditate further on these qualities and try to consciously cultivate them in your life as part of your ongoing self-reflection and spiritual practice. I chanced across some words from the uh, contemporary Zen teacher, Ezra Bader, which seemed especially pertinent to this. We identify with such a narrow part of who we are, our small self, when we identify just with our thoughts, our stories, drama and bodies. We miss out on the freedom of connecting with a bigger sense of self. Finding our authentic way doesn't mean we have to have a sudden deep realisation of the connectedness of all and everything. We can find it in increments. Just as our difficulties can push us in our spiritual journey, our aspiration can elevate and pull us. This dual motivation is required to help us find our authentic way. Develop a sense of purpose, a bigger view of what life is about. Without this, it is difficult to contribute. It's difficult to commit to living genuinely. Reflect on who you most admire and ask yourself about the qualities in them you find most inspiring. These are the very qualities in you that are calling out to reach fruition. These are the qualities that will inspire you to become who you most truly are. Words from Ezra Bader. And just a few more words from me to finish with. You are part of something bigger. Your life is wrapped up in the unfathomable process of the unfolding cosmos. The flourishing of your beautiful, unique, authentic self is an expression of divine potential. So let us celebrate who we are now, right this minute, and keep looking towards the horizon and the greater selves we could yet be. Let's sing one last time as this morning's session comes to a close. Here in this moment's song.
May you be brave enough to expose your aching woundedness and reveal your vulnerability. May you speak your deepest truths, knowing that they will change as you do. May you sing the music within you, composing your own melody, playing your song with all your heart. May you draw, paint, sculpt and sew, showing the world your vision. May you write letters, poetry, biography, slogans, graffiti, the great novel, laying bare your words to love and hate. May you love even though your heart breaks again and again. May you always allow others to be themselves, to help and enable one another to grow towards all you are capable of becoming. And until the end of your days, may your life be filled with possibilities and courage. Amen. Amen.